The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I'd like to continue these these last few weeks I've been here. I've, uh, we've been exploring some uh, a list of wholesome qualities of mind, and tonight I'd like to continue that with the exploration of looking at patience. Patience is a really uh, beautiful quality of mind, um, and in fact, in some Buddhist traditions, in the in the Burmese Buddhist tradition, it's said that patience is the road to liberation. Patience is the road to freedom. That we really need this quality to support us on our on our path, on our practice. Because you know, if you haven't noticed, it's not easy. <laughs> you know, this practice, this. Uh, Transforming our minds, it's like, you know, we're, we're swimming upstream, not only against the, the cultural tendencies, but against the habits of our own mind. And so we really do need patience, both in the, the way uh, the world is kind of inclining us to go in another direction, and in the way our minds are oh, running around doing their thing. So patience is a really helpful quality to explore, to cultivate, to... Um, encourage in our practice. And one of the ways, one of the ways we can think about exploring um, patience, the qualities, the various aspects of patience, is to look at impatience. Um, and actually this is a, this is a kind of a, um, a good rule of thumb or a good uh, tool kind of in our exploration of experience with mindfulness, if we want to cultivate a wholesome quality in our minds, if we want to cultivate joy or happiness or peace or calm or tranquility or patience or generosity, it can be helpful to explore what's in the way of that as a kind of a first thing. And, and it's not like, you know, we're trying to get rid of what's in the way, but kind of curiosity, interest about what's in the way. And that exploration begins to reveal some things about the, uh, the wholesome quality. And so I kind of like to go into this exploration of patience by looking at different ways that we get impatient and seeing what we can learn about the quality of patience. So one of the ways, um, kind of habitual way that we get impatient is when we're waiting for something good to happen. And we're impatient because we think there's something better out there just over the horizon or, you know, just, just, you know, when I was a kid, it's like I couldn't wait for this time of year. It's like, you know, this next week was torture for me um, because I was so... um, anxious and impatient for Christmas to come. So there's this kind of kind of impatience that is related to uh, an impatience with what's happening now because we think there's something going to be better in the future. The, Im- the emphasis is more on the, you know, what is it that I'm headed towards? What is it I'm g- going to get? So we're impatient when we when we think there's something good to happen in the future. So just think now about how it feels in your experience when that kind of impatience arises. 
Now, there's a quality of leaning forward, a quality of, of greed, of, of being like off balance in the present moment. We are not actually in the present moment. Our minds are, are projected forward into the future, thinking about how wonderful it's going to be, perhaps thinking about how wonderful it's going to be when we get the thing that we are impatient about. I know that for myself, um, um, this kind of impatience had a way of masking the uh, kind of the unpleasantness of the impatience itself. That because the mind is so focused on the thing that we're going, you know, the, the great thing in the future, we're not so aware that the impatience itself is creating this um, this agitation. So when, with this kind of impatience, we can kind of turn towards the restless feeling, the agitated feeling, the leaning feeling, the expectation kind of feeling. I actually just heard this, you know, this kind of, this kind of quality of leaning into an expectation or an anticipation of pleasure. I just read a... Um, a study uh, about this very thing of this anticipation of something pleasant to happen. It's apparently a really powerful force in our minds. There was a study, I think it was done on rats, who were in a situation where they could uh, press a lever and get some kind of reward when, there, when, when a light came on in, the, in their living environment. So the light would come on and that would mean that they could press this lever and get some kind of a reward. And they looked at the, um, the level of um, neurochemicals that, that indicate pleasure uh, in these rats. And the maximum hit of that chemical happened when the light went on. So that anticipation place, you know, oh, I'm going to get something. Even in rats, you know, this is a potent moment. I'm going to get something. Or I'm in a situation where I can get something I want. So that hit, there, there was that hit of, of pleasure in the, in the system through this neurochemical. And then actually that hit of uh, it was dopamine, they were measuring dopamine, that, that hit of dopamine release was strong until they pressed the lever and got their reward. And immediately, the dopamine dropped. So, we don't, we actually, it's some, in some kind of funny way, we, we like that anticipation, and, and in biological ways too, we like that anticipation even more than we like the result. So this is a pretty potent force in our minds to uh, have that, that kind of anticipation of something pleasurable. And it can mask the, the agitation of the impatience itself. In our practice, we sometimes get... Um, you know, we may begin our practice and not have too many expectations because we don't know what we're headed into. But pretty quickly, when we start to use the tools, we, we start to see some benefits. 
And then we start to get a little impatient to have those benefits. You know, we may, through our meditation practice, start to find moments even of peace or ease or calm or even just a little bit of space around some kind of reactivity. And so we start looking for results. We get impatient for our results. It's like, I figured I've done this before. Can't I just sit down and flip the switch and be mindful and have it be okay again? Unfortunately, our practice doesn't work that way. Our minds don't work that way. The force of habit in our minds, the force of conditioning in our minds is, is quite strong. And so that swimming upstream, you know, it's like we're swimming upstream of all of this conditioning that's heading us towards this, for instance, this moment of anticipation and pleasure and getting what I want will make me happy. You know, that whole conditioning is very powerful. And one or two times of seeing through that with mindfulness isn't going to just switch off that stream. So patience, (laughs) patience is required to keep meeting this experience of dissatisfaction, of impatience, of the fact that I can't just sit down and make the practice be what I want it to be. Tanasaro Bhikkhu talks about the patience of our practice being like the patience of a farmer. And this is, an, this is an, um, he, he describes, his teacher uh, told a story about how farmers in Thailand have to um, engage with their crops. And I'm sure that this is true, even though we have all these machines here in this country. There's a, a, there's a, a sense that you have to the patience of a farmer isn't about just sitting back and waiting. The patience of a farmer is the, of the kind that knows this is the time of year I need to plant the rice. This is the time of year I need to um, till the fields. This is the time of year I need to make sure that there's enough um, uh, nourishment, fertilizer on the field. This is the time of year I, I need to harvest this is the time of, time of year I need to, to cull the, the grains of rice. That each, each activity that a farmer has to engage in brings some effort. And it has to be done at a certain time. You know, the conditions don't wait. If you don't plant the rice when it's time to plant the rice, your yield is not going to be as good. Or you won't get any yield because you haven't planted the rice. And so the patience of a farmer is kind of the patience that understands that you don't take these actions and get the results tomorrow, but you take these actions and you need to keep taking these actions in order to have the result, to create the conditions for the results to follow. And so the patience of our practice is very, is very similar it's not the patience of just settling back and waiting. That's kind of a, a way that we sometimes think of the word patience. So the patience sometimes just means hanging around. You know, we think of, you know, somebody tells us in the doctor's office, be patient. You know, it's like, 
okay, that means I just, you know, I'm hanging around waiting for them. And we have that, that use of that word, the sense of waiting. But in our practice, it's not so much about waiting. It's, it's an engaged process. It's an engaged process of, in, of meeting our experience each moment. And yet, not giving up just because the results don't come immediately. So this is that kind of, uh, this is the kind of patience that is reflected by looking at that impatience for something to happen. The patience of persistence, persisting with action, even though we don't know exactly when the result is going to happen. And with the practice, this is true, so, it is so true. We have no idea how our, uh, the fruits of our practice will appear or when they will appear. It's very like the ripening of fruit on a tree. You know, the, the, um, you can you can see a piece of fruit on a tree, an apple on a tree, and it you know there there are these apple trees at IMS at the retreat center where I practice sometimes, and it's often fall when I go there, and so you see all these apples all over the tree, and you can go and like try to pull them off, and you know you can try to pull them off, but bite into them, and like some of them are just so tart, they're so sour because they haven't been given the time to ripen. You've picked them before they were ripe. And that, that the appearance of the apple itself doesn't seem to change. It's, it's, it, it's pretty red on the tree. I mean, you look at it, it looks like it's, it's ripe, but it's not, it's not sweet on the inside. And the, the sweetness happens kind of without our being able to consciously see it, visibly see it. And yet when that fruit is ripe, it will easily come from the tree. It will actually fall from the tree when it is ripe. And so we, we, in our practice, we may not be able to see moment after moment on a particular given day or in a sitting. We may not see the ripening, the sweetening that's happening with respect to our practice with, with respect to the mindfulness meeting experience. We may not experience that moment to moment. So the patience of our practice is also the patience of not having to see every moment of our, our, our in every moment of our day some evidence that the practice is doing something. That fruit will ripen. The conditions, the the conditions of the fruit ripening depend on the conditions of the sun and the moisture. The fruit ripens itself. And kind of likewise with our practice, the fruit of our practice, the, the, the ease of mind, the peace of mind, the balance of mind, the equanimity, ripens as we meet our experience. We may not see it happening moment to moment. 
And so this aspect of patience that supports this ripening in the face of not seeing the change is persistence. A gentle persistence of taking action even when we don't necessarily see the change. There's so many times in practice, there are times in practice when it's really clear how we are learning and understanding. But there's almost everybody has a time in practice where it feels like not much is happening. And that's just part of the unfolding. And so the the continued persistence, especially in those times when it feels like it's kind of flat, really supports our practice. And we can remember, we can remind ourselves of how we have benefited from the practice. We start to see benefits. The Dalai Lama has talked about looking at the benefits of practice over the course of five, ten-year time spans. You know, that you can look back over five years or ten years and recognize, yeah, things are really different now. Certainly that's the case in my practice, that, you know, there are different ways of my being, different ways of my reactivity that are so much less now. And I don't know exactly when or how those things change. It's a really gradual ripening. It's a gradual change. Something that almost happens when we're not, when we're not looking. As long as we continue with that persistence to meet our experience. This kind of um, persistence, this kind of patience of the persistence, as we see over long courses of time, as we see the way that this practice just kind of massages us and works us, we see the benefits and that leads to more patience. It leads to a a kind of an appreciation for the benefit of why we do this. We see that we're not as reactive. We see that there's more calm and peace in our lives. And we recognize that this has come about because of the practice. The value of the practice when it's seen and recognized is onward leading. It, it, uh, we, we, uh, We want to continue because we see how much it supported us. Another kind of impatience that is worth exploring and looking at is the kind of impatience that is about impatient to get over something that's unpleasant happening in the present moment. Some of you may have more of one kind of impatience or more of the other. I think I probably tended towards the kind of impatience that was, you know, this is happening now, this isn't worth my time, you know. It's, it's just, it, so there's an impatience to get over this, whatever this was, to get on to the next thing. We can, we can see this in small ways sometimes, at least if you have a tendency towards this kind of impatience. It can be interesting to explore, you know, just when does impatience come up? And again, this is one of the great practices with these 
uh, if you're interested in cultivating patience, look at what gets in its way. Look at what impatience is like when it arises in your mind. What happens? How does it happen? What's going on there? And so for myself, seeing over time that impatience was a big pattern in my life, I started, I took a couple months, and I just used impatience as a kind of a, a mindfulness bell. I decided I would be aware, mindful, whenever I noticed impatience arising. And um, what amazed me as I did this was, well, the bigger kinds of impatiences were pretty obvious. You know, the ones about, um, you know, being at work and preferring to be at home or, you know, things like that. Um, But what shocked me as I started to do this kind of exploration was just how subtle this pattern was in my mind. I was brushing my teeth and I was impatient to get that done with. I was taking a shower and I was impatient to get that done with. It's like this, what I'm doing, brushing my teeth, this isn't worth my time. I've got 18 other things that I've, I've got to be doing. And then by the time I get to those, it's like, well, these things, you know, these things are just, I don't like to do these things, but I have to do these things. Like, when am I going to be done with? So it's like, it was just almost, it was everywhere as I began to explore that impatience. And so this is something that starts to happen, you know, as we start to look at our patterns in our mind, we begin to see that they're like just deeply embedded in the structure of the way we go through the world. And so rather than being depressed by that <laughs> or you know, frustrated by that, at least we're seeing it. At least we're seeing that pattern And when we see these patterns at work, we see these patterns happening, there's the possibility of not just following through on them, not just believing them. Impatience, in my experience, had this strong quality of like needing to be believed. Yeah, this thing, brushing my teeth, this isn't important. You know, this next thing that I have to do, that's important. But even like a few moments' reflection of that kind of idea, you know, brushing my teeth isn't important. 30 years of not brushing one's teeth would prove the importance of it. <laughs> you know, so so we, we see that our minds are confused. Our minds are kind of deluded about how they put importance on things, what they take to be important. And so this kind of impatience, looking at the impatience around something that's either mildly or greatly unpleasant in the present moment, points to a quality of patience that leads us to be able to open to discomfort, open to suffering, a sense of tolerance, a sense of um, forbearance. This exploration of, can I be with this uncomfortable experience? is kind of almost at the heart of the whole of what the Buddha taught. That the transformation that happens when we're willing to sit with discomfort 
there's kind of an inner um, wisdom that begins to arise as we are willing to sit with discomfort. An inner wisdom that begins to um, help the mind to understand, release those patterns. So for instance, like, you know, a pattern, a pattern of, of anger. Um, the willingness to sit with the discomfort of that rather than saying, you know, taking that, that sense of anger and either feeling like you need to act on it, to do something, to take care of something in the world. You know, this is, could be a form of impatience in a way that, that um, uh, there's something happening in the world that you don't like, an injustice, and there's anger, and it's like, yes, I need to do this. I need to take care of this. And, and so there's that action that moves on that anger. That's one approach to the anger. Another approach would be repression. <laughs> and yet the Buddha asks us to explore a middle way. What does it mean to neither repress nor express that state of mind, that anger, but to open our heart to the experience of the pain of feeling that anger? to open our hearts to the pain of feeling an injustice, not closing our hearts to an injustice. What does it mean to open our hearts to suffering? This is really right in the middle of the Buddhist teaching. And we see in our own, in our own experience, we begin to get a taste of how valuable this is. We see that as we begin to explore something like anger, not acting on it, not um, repressing it. There's something in there, the, the, the wisdom and the mindfulness that allows that suffering, that allows that anger, neither repressing nor expressing, begins to find the expression of letting go of the hostility that's connected to that anger and connecting to the compassion that can be connected to that anger. Because often anger has those two threads in it. It's got the thread of something's wrong and there's a, a feeling of anger about that. Or there's, and there's the thread of like the sense of, yeah, that's wrong. It needs, there's something that needs to be changed there. You know, this is, you know, that the heart opens to that. And so as we are willing to sit in the midst of that anger, as we're willing to sit in that place, the wisdom and the mindfulness begin to tease apart the, uh, the aversive side of that, the pushing away side or the harsh side of that, and begin to open us to the um, the beautiful side of the compassion that's there in that. And the action, then in, in action, action can come more from compassion and not from anger. So we see, we see for, you know, we start to see this process working in our own minds that as we sit with a, a pattern of anger, 
or confusion or frustration, we see the benefit of sitting with that. How, like, somehow the, from the inside it transforms. It's almost like magic. It's not magic. It's, it's completely um, uh, conditioned by the, the wisdom that comes with the willingness to be present for things as they are. So that, that wisdom begins to transform that, that state from the inside. And so likewise, as we find that one of the you know, ways that we can feel impatient is with the transformation of the world. You know, the world, there's so much, like climate change and the, the race the racism that's so up in our culture right now, there can be a sense of impatience for why can't things change? Why can't, why can't we change things? And what I'd like to propose is that this question of, or this, this aspect of patience that's willing to open to the discomfort, I think this is part of how transformation can happen, not only in our own experience, but in the world. Can we truly be open to the pain of the racism that's happening? Can we truly be open to the suffering of climate change? You know, as we open to that, as we, as we allow ourselves to be open to that suffering, you know, the, the barrier, us, them, begins to break down. And as we, we actually open to the suffering, again, the wisdom, the transformation begins to happen from the inside. And so this patience of tolerance, again, tolerance may sound like sit back and let people run over you, but the patience of tolerance is not a patience of inaction. It's a patience that opens to the suffering and understands that transformation can take time. And yet it's not about being silent or not acting. That patience of tolerance, of opening to the suffering, might mean that you're out in the streets protesting. It doesn't, it doesn't mean non-action. But we are asked to look at where is their contraction is there a contracted heart in that action? Or can we open our hearts, open our hearts to the suffering and act from that open heart? Martin Luther King was so skilled in talking about this. I'd like to remind us all of his words. And this was from 1963. And I think, you know, many things have changed since 1963. And yet in some ways, the outer forms have changed and yet the, the inner, the inner uh, hmm, confusion and um, repression 
of feelings about, um, I mean, especially since Obama was elected, it's like, oh, it's behind us now. Well, it's clear, you know, racism is not behind us. And so there's a kind of a delusional aspect to what's happening now. In, in some ways, it was, way more ob- it, was way, it was way more obvious in 1963, the segregation of schools and, you know, the, the segregation of transportation and buses. And, you know, so it was way more obvious then. And now, in some ways, it's much more insidious. It's still here, but it's more insidious. And yet, I think these words are so important There's another thing about this philosophy, the philosophy of love he's talking about, that says you can stand before an unjust system and resist it with all your might and yet maintain an attitude of active goodwill towards the perpetrators of that unjust system. So it goes to say that the ethic of love can stand at the center of the nonviolent movement. In many instances, we've been able to stand before the most violent opponents and say in substance, we will meet your capacity to inflict suffering by our capacity to endure suffering. We will meet your physical force with soul force. Do to us what you will and we will still love you. Throw us in jail and we will still love you. Threaten our children and bomb our homes and our churches and as difficult as it is, we will still love you. Send your hooded perpetrators of violence into our communities at the midnight hours and drag us out on some wayside road and beat us and leave us half dead. And as difficult as that is, we will still love you. But be assured that we will wear you down by our capacity to suffer, and one day we will win our freedom. We will not only win freedom from ourselves, we will so appeal to your heart and your conscience that we will win you in the process and our victory will be a double victory. This really speaks to the opening to suffering. I really think that this is at the heart of um, the, the what might be help to transform the world. If we could all, the suffering, the suffering of racism, the suffering of climate change, the suffering of, of homophobia, the suffering of ageism, sexism, discrimination, is happening all over the place. And if we allow ourselves to open to the suffering of that, Things will change. I don't know how they'll change, but I do know that if we don't open to that suffering, we have a strong delusive sense that says, I don't want to open to that suffering. Let me stay in my little space here and not, and not feel that suffering. And so we, we create these walls, we create these boxes around us. If we truly open to the suffering of what's happening, things have to change. There's a story that, that kind of demonstrates this. I love this story. It's a, um, it's a story by Arthur Clarke. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's called Childhood's End. And it um, tells a story of, uh, 
Well, the, the kind of the overarching story is that there's a, a greater race of beings in the universe that's kind of checking out the planet Earth to see if we are uh, worthy of being kind of included in that, you know, evolved to that higher level of consciousness, basically. And so they've asked some, they've asked, um, you know, a, a species to come and check us out and see what's going on. And, and they've decided, yes, we are capable of evolving, but we need some work. And one of the areas we need work in is in this open-heartedness, basically in the realm of ethics. And um, the thing that they, that the, this, uh, this extraterrestrial uh, beings did to people on earth, they had this power, they could make everybody feel everybody else's suffering. And with that, people stopped killing each other. The, the, the example was, um, you know, the, the first time after they had, you know, somehow, you know, put this spell on all the, and everybody on the planet to feel the suffering that's present in the world. There was a bullfight going on. And as soon as the bull was run through with the sword, everybody in the stadium felt like they'd been run through with the sword. Bullfight stopped instantly. As soon as we truly open to the suffering, things do change. And so this is part of that patience, that willingness to keep stretching, keep opening the heart, keep being willing to be with suffering. Notice when we close down. Notice when we don't want to be with that suffering. This is the patience of our practice, the patience of being willing to meet dukkha. And it's not just our own dukkha. It's not just the dukkha of our own personal lives. It's the dukkha of the world that we can open to. I think this, I think this teaching has a capacity to transform the world. Running through both these kinds of impatience, these two kinds that I talked about, the impatience of wanting something pleasant, the impatience of wanting to get over something unpleasant, is kind of a a, a factor of basically not accepting, of non-acceptance. You know, when we are um, anticipating and leaning into the future, we are not really here in this present moment. We're, We're in our, in our world of fantasy we're not truly present and so we're not really open to allowing what's here we want something else to be here with the aspect of suffering in the present moment so often with that opening to that suffering we we have our agenda of this is not acceptable, I have to fix this, I have to change this right now. And we are acting for that fixing and changing from that place of aversion rather than from the open heart of compassion. And so again, you know, the, the willingness and the ability to be here now takes allowing, acceptance, 
this, this deeper factor of acceptance. Acceptance connects us with the truth of what's actually happening right now, what's already happening right now. And again, acceptance, sometimes we have a, mistake, a, a mistaken idea about what acceptance is. We think, again, it means accepting something and not taking action. What acceptance is about is really understanding that what's here, what's happening right now, well, it's already happening. It's already here. And we tend to have a, 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 a very strong capacity to deny, oh, this is what's actually here right now. We don't want what's here to be here much of the time. We want something else to be here. And so this acceptance is about truly being completely truthful, completely honest, completely understanding what's here is here. And that acceptance then doesn't mean that we simply sit back and do nothing. But from that place of truly opening to what is here, the wisdom of compassion, the wisdom of love, the wisdom of equanimity can take action. So as we open to what's here with a deep acceptance of what's here, there can be a different course of action than our habitual patterns would have having us, go, having, having us do. A different course of action. And so acceptance allowing doesn't mean non-action, but it does mean being really honest, really truthful about what's actually going on right now. Ajahn Sumedho says, what's, it's a great relief to accept the way things are because the only real misery is wanting to see them some other way. And that's, again, that's with this moment. This moment, the way this moment is, to truly open to, yes, actually, right now, this is the way it is. It's a great relief to not have to put all kinds of other things on top of that to believe somehow that, I'm bad or I'm wrong or I'm great or I'm whatever. That we just accept this and then from that acceptance stepping forward into the next moment. Hopefully with love, compassion as our motivation rather than aversion and confusion as our motivation. So patience, patience basically helps us to stay present for this very moment so that we can open to it. Open, open the heart, open the heart, open the heart more and more. And that opening of the heart allows new possibilities of action to come forth. New ways of being in the world that we cannot even fathom. 
So that's probably, that's probably good enough for me. Um, I'm curious, are there any comments or thoughts or questions or, you know, just reflections for yourself of how patience and impatience work in your lives? Could you wait just a sec for the mic? This concept of accepting, I found this to be really, really helpful. And, and to accept, and to, but it's difficult because it has an element of faith associated it with does. it. It does, yep. And I, I remember this line from a book by Chopra that, that says something like, accepting things as they are right now um, let me think if I've got it right. Believing that the world is as it should be and no different at this moment. I'm paraphrasing, but I think that's very close to what he said. And I read this many times, and actually, as I've tried to implement that, and when I have managed to reach that point, it is very... Both, it's an element of faith, but it's it's very heartwarming in some way, and I really, really found that to be very, very useful when you're in a trying situation. Yeah. To just believe that it is as it should be right now. It is as it is <laughs> right now. The should be piece is a little bit got a little bit extra in there. You know, almost like you know sometimes. One of the things that often happens in um, in our practice is that we we start to see that you know, and it's often said, you know, we get the lessons we need, you know, in terms of how to open our hearts, um, and yet it's not as if the universe is like conspiring somehow or like doing things to uh, give us the lessons we need. We get the lessons we need because we are caught in the ways that we're caught and we meet the world and we, we meet the world where we're caught. And there we are. We're caught there and that's where our suffering is, right there. And so the world is as it is and when we can open to it, the transformation can begin. The transformation can begin. And it is the way it is I don't know if it should be the way it is. It is the way it is. And it can't be any other way right now because it is already this way. And so to deny that is futile. And yet, if we can really open to it, we can start to see our way forward. And it's, really, it's so amazing. It's, so, it's truly amazing how that willingness to truly be honest about what this is, there's this wisdom that comes with that. And it's faith, it's faith, definitely faith plays in there, especially as we begin this process. The, the faith that it's okay to meet something and not know what the, the next step is going to be. That begins to be uh, a sense of confidence that the, um, you know, that our hearts will reveal the next step we do have to take that on faith initially. 
But then there begins to be a kind of a sense of trusting that as opposed to it being like, uh, well, let's see. You know, it's more like there's a, a deeper sense of, you know, maybe this is the flowering of patience in a way where the heart is fully, um, fully understands that the, the, the most skillful way forward is through that acceptance and opening and allowing the heart, the heart to respond rather than react. Yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, a couple over here. Yeah, this is always a great topic for me because I spent so much of my life being so impatient. I can be impatient about being more patient. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) But, um, yeah, I I just uh, always was convinced kind of genetically that I'm impatient. And it was a real revelation to kind of realize that I could kind of recognize the impatient and kind of catch it and, and... you know, opt out. Yeah. And even though uh, it's it's really bad for me in the mundane things like shopping, for some reason I I uh, decided some time ago that shopping was you know unpleasant, and I had to always rush through it. And uh, Pete's coffee lines are another bad one for me. <laughs> but um, so uh, you know, just recognizing it, catching it, opting out, and. Um, uh, you know, just it's made a big difference. Even though I probably only catch about a quarter of my impatience, yeah. even that has made yeah. a real big difference yeah. for me. And I appreciate that. Yeah, you mentioned this this sense of feeling like genetically predisposed to impatience. You know, some of these patterns that we have, you know, they're they're, they're intergenerational. You know, it's like parent was impatient, and their parent was impatient, and their parent. And it's like it just you know filters down the line but it is a learned pattern you know it's you know there's there's very little in the human system that is hardwired with respect to reactivity um yeah so you know it's 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 many times below the level of our conscious awareness the, the kind of bubbling up of that impatience because it's been so practiced and so conditioned into us. And yet the power of mindfulness is that it really does begin to lower that horizon of the subconscious so we can start to see it. If you're even seeing a quarter of them, that's fantastic. And then you can start to choose differently. That's the power of the mindfulness. You know, the patience with being with the difficult patterns and that we can start to see them, and then we can start to change the direction of the ship. <laughs> yeah, well, thank you for that. Yeah, and maybe one more. Um, it's so interesting to me that you talked about um, racism tonight, and I feel like every time I come here, it brings up exactly the thing that I needed to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm wondering how when we, um, my husband is black and we're newly married and we're figuring stuff out and um, how to interact with with people who have a hard time with that 
patience, where um, when things aren't what they should be. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how to how to guess to negotiate that when when we're wanting social change, but. Well, I think taking the action is important, you know. Mm. I, I, I do think the actions that are happening are so important. Not the, not the violent, the looting and stuff, but the, the marches, um, you know, the, the, the pointing out, you know, this is a blindness in our culture, this, this blindness of um, believing we're colorblind, you know. It's like, um, so... I think the actions are important and the, the, the checking in to see are, are your hearts contracted and tight while you're acting or are they open-hearted? And it's like you can't change that either. I mean, again, the honesty with, oh, you know, oh, it, it hurts right now. It feels, it's painful right now. Can you allow that? And then, you know, with other people... Um, Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, um, I, think, I think partly it's to stretch our hearts to recognize there's so much, I mean, delusion is such a potent force in our minds. We all have our flavors of delusion, and delusion is at work here. So, you know, it's... it's I think the patience is around how hard it is for people to see their own delusions. And we can, you know, can, we might be able to take some actions, hopefully with not a contracted heart, but with an open heart that begins to point out some of those delusions. I, I don't know how, I mean, if I had more time, I'd give some examples, but we're after, we're after nine now. But, um, you know, there's examples on the internet of this kind of thing, you know, that, that they're out there to look for ways to be, uh, be someone who points out in kind ways, you know, these uh, blindnesses that we have. Yeah. So thank you all for your attention.